All right. I could probably say this to you, I'll be honest, every single week. Um, and watch, in two or three weeks, I'll say it again. But in this series, this might be the simplest but the most important focus we have in this entire series. Take Jesus at his word. Everything's okay. <laughs> it just happens sometimes. I think it's part of, the, part of the alarm system, but it's okay. Yeah, it's loud. Taking Jesus at his word. Simple, very difficult. And that's what we're going to see um, in John chapter 4, the end, uh, starting with verse 43. You can follow along in your folder or on the screen. Here's what happened. After the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Now, once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum, another town. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. That's God's word. Now, those first couple verses that I read, they might make you think, wait, wait, what? How does that all work together? And you can look back up here. First, Jesus left for Galilee. Second, Jesus had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his home country, and Jesus' own country was Galilee. But it seems like verse 44 is almost explaining verse 43, saying here's why Jesus went to Galilee, because a prophet has no honor in the place where he comes from. You think, how does that work? And then in the very next verse, it says, oh yeah, and the people in his home country, the Galileans, they welcomed him. How in the world does that work? It doesn't make any sense. But if you think all the way back to the first verses of John chapter 4, it actually makes perfect sense, and those aren't printed anywhere. But in the first verses of John 4, Jesus said, or it says, that Jesus left the southern part of Israel because the Pharisees, they hated him so much, their anger was bubbling up, they realized how big of a deal Jesus was, and Jesus knew that at any time the Pharisees' anger could explode and they could try to kill him, and Jesus knew it wasn't the right time for him to be killed yet, and so he left to go north. And last week we saw how he had to go through Samaria because there was a woman there he had to go and show himself to, and he had to reach out to her whole town. And now he's continuing to Galilee. And he's going up there because they don't hold him in the same regard as the people in the south did. And because he was the hometown boy. And so they struggled to see him as more than 
Oh, Jesus, you know, the one we saw when he was a wee little boy, the one we saw when he was a teenager, the one we saw when he was an early 20-something, they struggled to see him as more than that. And so there wasn't the anger against him because the people didn't really see how, how big and important Jesus was. So he really did go north because they didn't honor him in his home country. He was just the hometown boy. But then you might ask, well, wait a minute. Jesus said they don't honor prophets in their home country. And then in the very next verse, it says the Galileans welcomed him. How does that work? And here's the answer. There's a difference between welcoming someone and honoring someone. Big difference. Let me give you a for instance. The Super Bowl was a week ago. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won. Tom Brady is their quarterback. He's now won seven Super Bowls. And let's just say that you are a huge Buccaneers fan, a huge Tom Brady fan, and somehow, I don't know how this happened, but you're having him over for dinner. And you are excited beyond belief. You, you buy the best food, you spend more money than you've ever spent on any meal because you want to welcome him in the best way you possibly can. You're excited, you, you clean up the whole house, you welcome him like no other. And you invite his wife and his kids and they all get there and you are so excited to see him, you just want to give him a high five and a fist bump and a hug all at the same time. You welcome him with wide open arms. But then you all sit down to dinner and that's when you launch into your lecture. And you say, hey, Tom, like I know, I know you won 31 to 9, but it really should have been 52 to 9. Like you left three t at least three touchdowns out there on the field. And then you proceed to point out all the things that he did wrong, all the decisions he should have made differently. And you say, you know, the play call on, on third down and seven in that instance, yeah, you, if I were there, I would have done it differently. You should have done this. And, you know, here's what you can do differently better so that next time you're in the Super Bowl, you blow them out like, like the 49ers way back in the day. And the reason you launch into this lecture is because you, you know, he's the seven-time Super Bowl champion, but you, you were the assistant offensive coordinator for the JV football team at your local high school for two years, you know, back in the day. So, you know, you know some stuff. You welcomed him. You welcomed him with open arms, right? But you didn't honor him. You didn't honor him because you didn't recognize who he was and who you were. You didn't recognize who he was, the seven-time Super Bowl champion, and you didn't recognize who you were, the assistant offensive coordinator of the JV football team for two years back in the day. You welcomed him, but you didn't honor him. And that's what the Galileans did with Jesus. They welcomed him. They were so excited that this guy was coming back to town. The hometown boy who they heard had done miracles. Man, they were excited to have him back. Maybe he was going to do some miracles up here, and they could see them with their own eyes. You know, some of them had gone down to Jerusalem and seen all the miracles he did, but now he was back, and they were excited. But they didn't honor him. One commentator said, Outward enthusiasm, often for selfish purposes, is not honor. So there Jesus was in Cana, the same town where he had taken a whole bunch of water and turned into a whole bunch of wine. There he is. And this Jewish government official guy heard that he was there, and he came up to him. And he came from the city of Capernaum, which was about 17 miles away. 
so if you were walking or going by donkey, either way, it was about a seven-hour trip. That's how far the guy traveled. And he came up to Jesus and he asked him, hey, can you come down to my town, Capernaum, and heal my son? He's almost dead. And Jesus said to him and everyone else around, you welcome me, but you're not honoring me. He said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe which seems incredibly cold and uncaring, doesn't it? Like you want to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, now is not the time to drop a theological bomb. The guy's kid is dying. Why would you say that, Jesus? And besides, like the guy clearly had some sort of faith in Jesus. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have traveled seven hours. By the way, like that's like driving to Columbus, Ohio. When was the last time you drove to Columbus, Ohio to ask a doctor a question and you fully intended on coming back that day or the next day. Like, we don't do... The, the guy went to Columbus, Ohio and back to ask Jesus. He clearly believed that Jesus could heal his son. He wouldn't have asked if he didn't believe that. And that's how Jesus responded? And you can almost hear the guy just, like, sigh in resignation as he responds, Sir, come down before my child dies. And there's another pastor who imagined the guy saying this in his heart. Jesus, it's, it's my son. It's my little boy. My love, my delight, my little running, laughing, jumping boy, the light of my house, the hope of my life. Jesus, every breath he takes is in agony. He's dying. Just come down and heal him. I know you can. And Jesus, he didn't say yes. He actually said no. The man asked, come down to Capernaum and heal my son. And Jesus said no. He actually answered the guy's prayer in an even better way. Because he said, no, I'm not coming down to Capernaum and healing your son. I'm staying right here. But I will heal your son. He said, go. Your son will live. And don't miss this miracle. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He just listened. And yes, that's a miracle. It, the man believed the word which Jesus spoke to him and went. And then partway back, he saw his servants. And he had to know when he saw his servants halfway between here and Columbus, Ohio, that it was either really good news or really bad news. Because his servants, they were willing to meet him halfway and tell him what happened. Like, was his son better or was his son dead? He had to know it was one of the two things. And I said they were willing to meet him halfway. They were actually willing to do more because they didn't have cell phones. The guy didn't text his servants when he was leaving Cana saying, hey, I'm on my way home. They didn't know he was coming back. They didn't even know he was in Cana. They just, the guy had heard that Jesus was in Cana, but who knows, the guy could have gotten there and Jesus could have already left and gone to the next town. So when these servants left home, they had no idea where the guy was. They were, they were prepared to go to Cana and then find out where he went from there and go wherever to tell him because they had to tell him. And when he saw them, he had to know it was either really good or really bad. You've already heard the end. It was really good. His son was alive. And then, turns out, 
the exact moment when his son got better, when the fever passed, when he stopped shaking and being chill, chilled and sweating, the exact moment was when Jesus said, your son will live. And then it wasn't just the guy who believed. It says, he and his whole household believed. Because that's what Jesus' word does. It causes people to believe. Jesus said to them, you guys are just after my signs. Like, you don't really honor me. But Jesus was so gracious that he still gave them the sign to prove once and for all that they should take him at his word, to prove that he was the one that they, they just had to entrust and lay down their entire lives in service to. But now I want you to think about the man for a little bit more. What do you think he was thinking when he took Jesus at his word and departed? Like maybe a mile down the road, 15, 20 minutes later, was, was he confident? Was there a bounce in his step? Or what about an hour later? You know, he's, he's four miles in. He's got 12, 13 miles left to go. Is he still confident? Is he excited or is he nervous? Is he worried, like, did I just waste my time? Am I going to get home and my son is, actually, he died while I was gone and I didn't get to say goodbye to him? What was he thinking? I don't know. I literally have no idea. Because that's not the point. The point isn't for us to look at this guy and say, wow, he took Jesus at his word. No, that's not where God wants us to focus. God wants us to focus on the one who gave the guy the word. God wants, to look, God wants us to look at Jesus and take him in his word and focus on everything Jesus says and did. He wants us to look at Jesus' life, look at everything. That's why we're studying the book of John. That's why the book of John was actually written. John tells us at the end. He says, I could have put down so many more things in this book that I'm writing. But he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that you may believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that you take him at his word, the Lord, the Savior of the world, the God of your life. And John said, these are written that by believing you may have life in his name. And when he says life there, he's talking about eternal life. But don't you dare think that that just means life in the future, in heaven, after you die or after Jesus comes back because eternity is not equal to the future. Eternity includes right now. Eternity includes the present. And let me tell you, a life lived in Jesus' name, taking Jesus at his word, looking at his power, his words, his promises, his actions, a life lived in Jesus' name is completely different than a life lived outside of Jesus' name, not taking him at his word, not believing his promises. And so if, if you're here today or you're watching on Facebook and you would identify yourself as a Christian, dear Christian, just take Jesus at his word. Like when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished, when he says, I have finished all the work of removing every ounce of cancerous guilt from all of your cells, 
Your guilt is gone. It died when my body died on the cross. When Jesus says that, take him at his word. When he says, I will be with you always. Even when you don't feel it, when you don't feel it here in worship, or when you don't feel it at various moments in your life, take Jesus at his word. When he says, don't worry about food or money or clothes or your health, I take care of the birds and the flowers. Won't I take care of you? Take Jesus at his word. When Jesus says, here is my wonderful design for you and your life and your relationships and your sexuality, take Jesus at his word. And when he says, in this world, you will have trouble, take him at his word. Expect trouble in every aspect of your life, even as a Christian, and especially as a Christian. And then when Jesus follows that up by saying, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take him at his word when he says that too. Expect trouble and take him at his word that he is more powerful than all the trouble and, and somehow he will lead you, he will carry you through it. Take Jesus at his word. Because in Jesus' words and in his promises, what that means is that you can walk down the 17-mile winding and hilly road of life without your mind and your heart being flung this way and that way, without your heart being torn to pieces and, and going all in different directions whenever, whenever anything happens. When you hear the latest update on COVID and it's good news or bad news, or you hear the latest thing that happened in Washington, D.C. or in your local government, or when the thing happens at work or, or among your family or your friends. Because of Jesus' words and his promises, you can walk through all of that just focused on him, taking him at his word that he is with you always, that he has overcome all of that, and he is carrying you and walking with you through every aspect of your life. Because life doesn't hinge on anything except for Jesus and his word. It doesn't hinge on whether you have a great Valentine's Day or a lonely one. Whether you get the job or the promotion or you don't. Whether your family reconciles or you stay broken apart. All those things matter, but life doesn't hinge on any of that or anything else. It only hinges on Jesus' word. So, it's simple. It's difficult, but it's simple. Take Jesus at his word and start walking. Amen.